Welcome to the All Creation Podcast. I'm so very happy and honored to welcome Vance Black Fox today. Vance is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation, an indigenous theologian, and director of Otherwise, a multi-site cultural education and immersion program for youth from across the United States. Vance graduated from Texas Lutheran University and the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago and has served the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America in multiple capacities. At present, Vance is the indigenous theologian and coordinating team member for the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America's Theological Roundtable and creator and producer of the Vine Deloria Jr. Theological Symposium hosted at the Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago. And I hope we'll talk more about Vine Deloria in this interview. Vance also serves Indian country in a variety of ways, including having served as Director of Communications for the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition and for Native Americans in Philanthropy. Vance has held executive director positions at the Haskell Foundation and Oaks Indian Mission, served as guest curator of the Indian Museum at the University of Texas, San Antonio, and is presently the indigenous theologian for the faith-based initiative for the city of San Antonio, where he currently resides. Vance, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation and for having me today. Before we get started, I, I want to say um, thanks to Carmen Rutzloff, who introduced me to you some years ago. And um, I also want to just say one more thing, and then I'm going to really try and get out of the way. Um, for me, as a, as a white American male, my experience of growing up in the United States is that Native peoples are pretty much invisible to our, our media and our culture and our politics and our religions and so forth. And, and I think most people, good-hearted or not, um, if they have some form of contact with native culture in the United States, it's usually through caricatures. So I want to be sort of fundamentally humble and, and clear that I don't know, and we don't know really much at all, if anything. And so, you know, it's likely I'll say some things that are um, off center as, as I'm trying to listen and learn from you today. I've appreciated so much what you've already shared with me and encouraged me to, to study. And I just wanna call out, you know, where this, this edition of All Creation is exploring the ideas of apocalypse and apocalypsis. And we, these uh, white Americans in particular, do not know the history, the identities, the annihilation, the racism, the theft, the abuse, the trauma that our peoples have caused. And we certainly don't know what to do about it. So we're gonna explore some of this today. Again, I, I can't thank Vance enough for being willing to share with us and educate us. And my intention for this interview and in future work that I hope Vance and I get to do together is to really serve the Native American identity as a, as a bridge to full recognition by our dominator culture. And as Vine Deloria says in the, the book that you recommended, restitution of the rights that native peoples enjoyed for centuries before the coming of the white man. With that said, I wanna start with our first question, which is simply what is the correct name for the very broad category of Native American peoples today? Sure. Well, but first let me say um, thank you for again, for having me, but also for your commitment to learning. It's so important for non-native people to do that learning we could go into all the varied reasons beyond even just the fact that you know 
history of Native peoples is not taught um, in, in public school systems. And even when it is, the breadth of our experience and our history and our stories are, are minimalized um, in a variety of ways. So I'm just thankful for you and for anyone who takes time to learn about Native people and to list, stop and listen and uh, maybe take heed at times and to appreciate really the gifts that uh, we still live with and are willing to offer to uh, the rest of the world despite all the things that have happened to us. And so, um, so I'm just really thankful for that. I'll also say, um, I just wanna greet everyone, first of all, it's important um, to always say hello. So Osio Nigan, Osio Chinal, Galanch Dogdo. Hello everybody, hello everyone. My name is Galanch, my English name is Vance Black Fox. I am a citizen of the Cherokee Nation and was raised in what is now known as Northeast Oklahoma on the Cherokee Reservation in the heart of Cherokee Nation. Um, though those lands were not our original lands, we were originally from places known like that are now known as Tennessee and Kentucky and Northern Alabama and Georgia and um, Mississippi and South Carolina, and North Carolina, Virginia, parts of Maryland, right? We had a huge territory that was um, taken from us in a variety of ways over time in um, history. And then we were forced marched, right? And many of our people died on what's called the Trail of Tears. Um, I presently live in San Antonio, Texas, as you mentioned in the bio and or the intro. And I um, now presently live on um, the land that is the original and continual homeland of the Coetecan people and the Tonkawa people. And so it's important for us to acknowledge where we are, to acknowledge the land. And oftentimes when we say, let's do a land acknowledgement, people think it's so we gotta, we're, we're, we're talking about the land by itself. We're really talking about people um, because the people aren't the people if they're disconnected from their land um, and they're not, they continue to be connected to their land. So I'm great friends with some Coetecan folks here um, and the Tonkawa folks were moved um, to a reservation in Oklahoma as well. The Coatecan folks were the ones who were known as the Mission Indians. So those missions that San Antonio is famous for, starting with the Alamo and then the others down the road um, were the places where those Mission Indians were. were, were um, um, there's a variety of words I could use and that's a whole class in itself, but that's where they went um, to seek survivance and then had to survive that experience. So mm. it's important to say that. And then, so thank you. Um, it's important for me to acknowledge all those things um, as I begin and would encourage you and others who are listening to when you um, begin a meeting or begin a presentation to do a land acknowledgement to tell us where you are and uh, we can um, give you a resource maybe connected to this um, at the end of where you can find where the lands, the land of the, the, the find out who the original people are of the land and where, where you live both the folks who um, were there for time memorial, but also maybe the folks that were moved there. Um, and, so. and can you, um, on that note, because this, mm -hmm. I've been aware of this idea for a few years, but I haven't adopted the practice yet. I just mm -hmm. learned that I'm on unceded Tonkawa lands. Mm -hmm. And actually when you look at the map, it's about eight tribes that mm -hmm. frequented this part of central Texas. I'm not too far from you, I'm in Austin area. Right. Can you talk about just the right way to, to make that declaration at the beginning of an event um, to say I'm on the unceded lands of the Tonkawa people or is there another? I think there's a, unceded has some, that, that term may or may not be correct depending upon where you are. So for you, I think it 
maybe depends on it, how the land was transferred. So unceded is a, a loaded term, um, and for some, and for some, it's the correct term. So it just depends. Um, so I don't want to go into that because also another lesson, another whole workshop. Um, okay. but what I would say is you find them you know, quickly. It doesn't have to be anything spectacular. There are resources that teach you. You can search land acknowledgments in the United States and you can you know, Google and it pulls it up. Again, there's a list of resources that you can share with your listeners later that I will, that I will have one of those links to. Um, but it's simply knowing the tribes and listing all the tribes that you know, right? So oftentimes in Austin, I also say Tonkawa people, right? That's who we know we're there. The map says, says maybe says some more, maybe we should add those to that land acknowledgement for folks in Austin. Um, and so, um, but even if you just list one or two or three, if that's the only knowledge you have, that's better than not listing any at all. So like I said, I live presently on the land that belongs to or the original lands of the Koitek and Tonkawa people. It's important for me to acknowledge that. Um, so that's, that, that, that can be as simple as that. And then some have long paragraphs, you know, um, or short paragraphs, formal statements. Some folks are now putting land acknowledgements on their um, Facebook profiles, their Instagram profiles, or on their LinkedIn profiles, or on their websites. Churches are beginning to print them in their bulletins. Now, it, it sounds like it's new, but it's not. Canada, while not everyone does it in Canada, um, it's such a more common practice in Canada to do land acknowledgement, to acknowledge the peoples who were on that land originally. And uh, um, so we're way behind, quite frankly, in the United States. And so again, a short sentence can be fine when you're maybe introducing yourself. And you'll see that happening more and more and more progressive, um, for more progressive younger people who are like all about it, making sure that they're doing that. Um, um, but then also there's a lot of folks who are now formally holding meetings or, you know, um, with land acknowledgement or worship services so it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity it just reminds us kind of where we are in in our place right and whose place we're on so we might be able to call it home um the land was stolen from someone else and it's someone else's place so um it's important to think about that but i think that's a good segue to uh your first question actually for the podcast which is what do we call what do, you call, what do we call you people, right? What do we call Native people? What do we call um, Indigenous folks? Um, and you'll hear me, and you've heard me, and you've seen me write a variety of terms. Um, so just in our interaction in preparation for this particular podcast. And that's kind of my practice. And, uh, and in, in, in most of the classes that I teach, if I don't start out with this lesson, or if I don't include this lesson, it's usually a question that comes at the end of a class. What, well, what's the right term? You know, we've been told, because they'll hear me say Indian people or Indian as part of a title for an organization I've worked for or, or that I support and or teach about. And, um, and so folks are like, oh, that's confusing. We're not supposed to say the I word, you know? <laughs> and so, um, so, so it's had, and it has changed over, over time and some folks will play, blame, uh, blame um, polit polit political correctness uh, and I don't think politi being politically correct is, is incorrect or, or bad. I think um, it is a tool for how to be kind, especially if it's a correct term or a term that is acceptable. Uh, and a lot of folks push back on that, and that's okay too. I, I guess I would start with, if you know someone's tribe, if you know someone's tribal affiliation, whether they're a citizen of a nation or a member of a nation, no matter depending on how they term um, that, that association, 
I'm a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. So when you're addressing an individual or small group of individuals or even a group from the same tribe, you want to name the tribe, if at all possible, right? If you're in relationship with someone, you know, for instance, a lot of folks will say to say, introduce me and say, oh, he's native. Oh, he's indigenous. Oh, he's Indian. Yes, that is true that we have been in a relationship, so-and-so, for three, four, five, ten years. You know what tribe I'm from, right? So um, naming my tribe is important if that's how you choose to introduce me. Otherwise, don't introduce my tribe, right? Or don't introduce me as a native person. Just introduce me as they ask. But if you know the tribe and that's something that you think is important in the qualifier or the introduction, then name my tribe. A lot of folks, um, I would say, are really kind of afraid of that Indian word. And like I said, a lot, a lot of that comes from being politically correct. And, and that's okay. And, and there are even some native people who are not, who are not you know, interested in using the word Indian. And, and, and for instance, we also group together in this country, Alaska natives, you know, with American Indians, so American Indian, Alaska native. Um, so some Alaska natives may not use the word Indian because that's not the term that was uh, necessarily correct for them, and that's okay. And then there are just some people today who are native, who are indigenous, who are like, no, it is it is not the correct term because of Columbus, right? And but for me, native people have been calling each other Indian forever, and and and, and here's the story. Here's a story. And it has to do with that man who did sail across on those three ships, right? The Nina Pinta and Santa Maria. And a lot of folks uh, believe that story because that's a story that has been passed down over and over and over. And, uh, and, and so when he, when he landed, he did indeed feel like he or thought he was in um, what was known then as the Indies, um, which was connected to maybe you know, parts of Asia and India. And, and at the time, the word India and Indies had been, it was just now beginning really, really relatively new. Um, most of India called themselves, you know, folks in, in, in their traditional language, right? They had, they had indigenous peoples there. And so they called themselves by their own names and, and there was tons of tribes. And so, but the, but the colonizing word became India, right? Colonizing term and name became Indian, Indies. And so when he got here, that was a term, of course, he used. Well, let's remember who um, Columbus um, was. He was from where? Do you remember, Chris? He was from Spain, or he was Italian from Spain. He was, well, he was Italian. He was from Italian. And then he convinced Princess or, or Queen Isabella, excuse me, in Spain to sponsor this journey, right, around the world to find those spices and a variety of other things. And so um, most of his then team were Spanish speakers. Um, he was probably keep keeping his journal in Italian, but all his priests and all his staff who were keeping journals were also keeping their journals in Spanish. And so, um, so, 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 so our leaders in any country in recent years, I say recent years, last 40 or 50, began saying, you know, that the reason they call us Indian isn't because they thought that we were in the Indies, but they're in fact, um, this is our, some of my ancestor stories, right? Some of our elder stories, there were priests who were writing in Spanish about the Arawak people um, who became the Taino people, right? And those Arawak people in the islands, the Bahamas and the Caribbean, they um, were just so spiritual. And so these priests were writing about how spiritual and how ceremonial and how everything um, had a purpose. And there were just these um, intense people who uh, really understood themselves to be connected to land and creation. 
and they wrote about us. And so they called us, they called the Arawa people, gentes de Dios, right? This is formal Spanish, um, people of God, gentes de Dios. And so today we might say, we might say, um, gentes de Dios. And so over time, right, that gentes de was taken away as they referred to the people of the islands and then other indigenous peoples on the mainland um, as indio or indios. And in Spanish, indios means indios, but when you translate it then to English, or you say it in English, you say what? You say Indian. And so, um, so that's, so, so that the, the mistake or the misnomer wasn't about, this is the argument of some native people, wasn't about him thinking he was long, or he was in the Indies, but rather um, the, the, the mistake wasn't really a mistake. It was an accurate description of who we were as people. And he wasn't created by Columbus, but by his staff, the Spanish speakers. And so, um, no. I don't think anybody's found this journal that this priest has written this about us. I could be wrong, but I've not seen it and I've not found it. But I cannot think of a better description of who we are as a, as a people. And if non-native people, if non-indigenous peoples can make up a term for us, and it's okay, then guess what? Even if this story is not a true story, right? then if it's not historically accurate, so what? We can also still make up our own name for ourselves through these stories that have been created because it makes so much more sense. And so people like myself and others, usually who are younger than myself, my age and younger, have adopted this story also as one that we much prefer. And so if that is the new story, if that is the story that Native people want to utilize and to support why we call ourselves Indian, because of indios, because of gente Dios, then that's what we'll use. Now, so that's what gives me um, permission for folks to say, give, to give other people permission to, to call me Indian um, or for native people to call each other Indian. Um, and so, you know, that, that, that would be one, one of the justifications that I would use. Not everybody agrees with that. Not all native people think that that's okay. And in fact, that also, the disagreement is okay. What I will also say is that there are a lot of older folks who will who have said, um, in fact, um, some grandmas who were part of a filmmaking project and inspired uh, inspired um, some 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 storytelling around that around the name Indian um, said Indian is the word that they use to oppress us. Indian will be the word that we use to set ourselves free. Um, so older generations have, have spouted that and have espoused that, that wisdom around why it's important to reclaim um, or to, to embrace that term, um, separately from this previous story that I just told. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there are, you know, the United States government has categorized us like every other marginalized people or my, minority people, right? And so our legal term is American Indian. American Indian is what the federal government uses. That's what is used in policy. Um, you know, that's what tribal groups probably use when writing about themselves in, in relationship to the federal government. Uh, and then you have Native American, which really came about when, you know, political correctness was important to people. Um, and, and so Native American became okay. I would say that Native, I would say that American Indian was, you know, used for government purposes, policy. Native American became kind of the term that was used in academia. 
Right. Uh, and then um, that was shortened to native. And so native is also very okay. In fact, you'll hear a lot of folks in the United States in particular who will just say native, which then makes also Alaska native and American Indian more inclusive, right? Because um, we're, we're Alaska native, Native American, even though we say American Indian, excuse me, Alaska native, American Indian, native then covers us all. Um, and so native's good. And then of course, indigenous. And indigenous, we know, you know, not unlike native, but more so, you know, they're indigenous all over the world. Um, but when we say indigenous here in the United States, we're talking about Native American people, we're talking about Native people. So my opinion is that, um, well, let me, let, me, let me say this. There is a difference also. A lot of folks are wanting to say, oh, you know, the first nations of the United States, the first peoples, so you know, uh, that, that's the legal term in Canada. And so while it probably isn't incorrect to call people in the United States who are Native First Nations or First Peoples, it becomes confusing because that's the terminology that Canadians who are Native chose for themselves um, and the federal government used, um, um, the federal government Canada used to talk about their Indigenous folks there. And then we have, of course, Mexican Indian or Mexican Native, right? Um, so those would be the difference, differences. Uh, and, um, but we would stay, in the United States, we would stick with Native, I think. I would probably be the safest word is Native or Indigenous the United States. But Indian is also okay. So if you use, and I would say that I, I, I give permission for everyone to use, but any of those words I just, just listed, use them. That was gonna if be- somebody gets upset, Yeah, if somebody gets upset, then just edit, right? Well, what word do you prefer? I apologize, right? And that native person that you're in relationship with or that you're engaging with will tell you which word they prefer. And they might also give you a lecture as to why, right? And it may be in disagreement with what I just said, and that's okay too. But I am okay with people using all of them because we have been finding erasure in the United States of us as beings. We, I mean, and I want to get into all that history right now, right? I'm going to get to some of it here in a bit, but you know, I just need people to talk about us. And so don't be afraid to say our names, right? Whether it be other tribal names or any of these groupings, just talk about us. Or use Indian, American Indian, Native, Native American, Indigenous, right? Alaska Native is pretty clear, right? Um, but in general, Native is probably the safest. So any of those words are fine. Just say something about us, learn something about us, um, talk about us in good ways, hopefully. Um, in positive, non-racist ways, hopefully. <laughs> and so, um, so when you asked to ask, you know, when you asked, should we start with this question? I kind of was just silent because like, this is gonna take up a lot of time. And, to, <laughs> and, 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 and I'm okay with taking up a lot of that time because it's something, that's so, yeah, it's something so basic for most of us who are native, especially, but there's so many people out there who, are, who um, don't know and or who are afraid or who are hesitant. Don't be hesitant, use any one of those words. If you need to edit yourself because someone didn't, you know, thought it was not the right word, then edit yourself um, and apologize. And I think you'll be fine. Yeah, if I can respond really quickly, a, a, a couple of things. You know, one is I, I sort of tried to say up front the podcast, I'm, I am, I didn't say out loud, I'm afraid to make mistakes. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I'm trying to open the door to say I'm bound to make mistakes here. Right. And, um, and I appreciate you kind of encouraging me to go ahead and do that. And the other thing, um, that really comes to mind is something I know you're going to talk about more, which is, you know, I, I was talking about how we we don't know anything really in this dominator paradigm, this uh, white male American culture that has dominated for so long here about Native peoples. And you've 
really tried to uh, wake me up to how diverse, how, how much diversity there is within the cultures, the, the number of tribes, the, that everyone has their own story, everyone has, um, you know, cultural identities, cultural histories. There's, there's certain ways that Native peoples are similar, and then there are so many vibrant ways that Native peoples have unique identities. And so it is um, like a bouquet in a sense where maybe one term is, is appropriate or more than one term rather is appropriate for all of these different things. And we just really need to get started here yeah. in trying to know as much as we can. And I appreciate you clarifying yeah. that. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for hearing and listening. That's one of the things that we do otherwise with, with young people, also some adults, but mostly young people is we give them a space to ask the questions they're afraid to ask because I need them to get beyond that. Um, and I also want them to ask the questions that they probably, that they think is, is racist and probably is, right? Um, um, being in a relationship with people like myself, and there are plenty of us out there who are willing to be teachers um, to answer some of those questions in safe spaces, as long as you're willing to hear the truth and to be corrected, right? Which most of our young people are um, when they come to, to through our program. They, you know, it's like, this is a safe space. All of our partner organizations ask the question. Um, and then teaching folks how to be in relationship with people who are different than themselves, not just indigenous peoples, but people, all peoples, um, so that when they go home, right they can build better relationships deeper relationships with people who are different themselves which then gives them maybe some space to ask those dumb questions right and they're dumb yeah. they, they are right but what's more dumb is not finding the answer and being too afraid to ask the questions someone you trust especially so but most folks aren't in relationships with native people right right so they so they they're hesitant and 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 we just need to get beyond that um and there will be some native people who will push back and not be happy and be a little angry and that's okay that's the right right but there's many of us out there who are teachers you know um i have i tell people all the time i'm not get offended by the questions just because i want to i want the chance to tell you the right answer or an, at least an answer that's more help you be more appropriate in, in your relationship building right and in your journey with native peoples or other peoples right but to be native or black or asian or what have you so that's beautiful mm -hmm. well do you want to jump over to apocalypse yes yeah, my favorite topic absolutely <laughs> <laughs> well so um we have a great question here to start with on this this topic but do native people talk about apocalypse yeah do native people talk about apocalypse uh, and the and i think in general like we could say well do other people do non-native people talk about apocalypse and for the most part, we don't, right? I mean, even in most churches, um, you know, there are some churches who are all about talking about apocalypse and that Jesus is going to return, but we got to go through all this before. Um, and that's beautiful for them. But for Native people, um, there may be some Christian folks who, Native Christians, who uh, certainly are sitting in pews where they also hear those stories about apocalypse. They hear those stories about, you know, um, what's happening, um, what, what John is seeing as a revelator, right? It's happening in the book of Revelations. Um, they may or may not get all the historical background about why that author wrote the way, what that author wrote in the Bible about apocalypse. Um, but there are certainly some Natives that were talking about it because of their Christian faith. And that's okay. Um, it may not necessarily be something I agree with, and I certainly may not teach it the same way that some churches teach it, uh, as because I too identify as Christian, um, but I'm also someone who comes from a bit of a traditional background in the way in which we understand our life ways and our relationships with people. Uh, as a Cherokee person, much of our spiritual life was taken from us when we left, you know, our spiritual traditions, our religious traditions and ceremonies, and a lot of our knowledge was taken because of the 
privateers and our want to assimilate, right? So Christianity is a big part of that. But overall, no, Native people aren't like, oh, let's talk about apocalypse today. You know, oh, did you hear that story about apocalypse? You know, uh, oh, remember that apocalypse story that the Navajo Nation tells? And, and they might have one. I'm just using them as an example, right? Um, you know, but most of our tribes um, probably don't have an uh, apocalypse story per se, but they might have prophecy. They might have um, wisdom that came from spiritual leaders or elders that would forewarn about change, right? And that's really what we're talking about when we talk about apocalypse. And I think there are people whom you've asked to, to speak on this topic in these podcasts and some of the things that people have written about um, for, for this discussion in particular that, that we're, we're, we're focused on, right? Talk about well, how has change happened? Where does apocalypse happen? Is it just the Judeo-Christian apocalypse story? Uh, and, and, and it's not. And so um, but what I would say is, is that you, know, you mentioned Vine, and of course, I'm a big fan of Vine. Um, Let me just say, so Vine Deloria Jr. is the great historian, as far as I'm aware, of Native American history, sort of, and its relationship to the federal government of the United States, and also American culture's impacts on Native American history. And, and Vine is his first name. Deloria is the last name. Um, Vance recommended a book called Custer Died for Your Sins me over a year ago and I just got around to getting started on it I'm very embarrassed to say but it is easily one of the most valuable pieces of writing I've ever seen in my life and and so I recommend this author slash historian Vine Deloria Jr. to everyone listening. Sure yeah don't worry folks I got after him I got after him again read the book um, and so and the reason I, and, and too it's I think it's important right and I told you this the reason it's important is because you admitted that you knew so little, right? And I said, in order for us to have a conversation, you can't start at ground zero. Otherwise, I'm just only a teacher. I can still be your teacher even if you're not at ground zero, right? But I need for people to learn on their own as well. So I can be a teacher all day, but it's really nice for the class to come on, come in to the classroom having done their pre-work, right? So what books can you read? And Vine has a plethora of books. And Vine is a historian, certainly, um, but he's so much more than that, right? He was a philosopher. Um, he was a philosopher that kind of uh, wrote, was the was the wordsmith and the, the wisdom keeper around why the American Indian, move, American Indian movement happened. He was a theologian, having studied at um, the same seminary that I study at, the predecessor body, but we claim him because it was a predecessor body of my seminary. Uh, and that's why I wanted to, I wanted to create the, the symposium in his honor to talk about theology from an indigenous perspective. He was an attorney, you know, he, 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 he taught it. Um, um, law schools, and he taught at uh, um, other uh, universities, um, uh, both University of Colorado, Boulder, and also University of Arizona, where he was teaching, you know, Indian studies um, and, and, and legal theory and, and around indigenous, you know, things. He was the, the one of the directors, uh, executive directors of National Congress of American Indians and brought it to life in a big way. So, so yes, he was a historian, but it's always important for me to kind of, uh, you know, really tell folks, you know, how important he was. And again, he's he one of the most prolific writers um, in a variety of areas. And so um, I'll have, I have a book list that I'll also share later, um, and a list of resources for folks to go check out um, some of his books as well. Uh, so yes, Apocalypse, he, you know, Vine Deloria Jr. He um, wrote a lot about uh, every perspective, every every perspective. It's hard as a theologian myself to really pick a topic that Vine didn't touch and didn't have like the best wisdom about. Uh, but talking about apocalypse, 
he mentions apocalypse a couple times in some of his writings, as I recall, uh, but he but he doesn't talk about it from the same Christian perspective that maybe a lot of other Christian theologians might write about it. Right? He's really talking about it from an indigenous perspective, and that's really what I, what the, the the way in which I come about to apocalypse. Funny enough, not because of Vine, but because I think that we if we're going to um, and dissect that word, dissect it to mean, you know, um, um, not the Christian story, but rather how does this impact other cultures? How does this impact uh, the way in which we understand ourselves to be connected to creation or not? Uh, um, this, this uh, you know, how, how is the how is the metaphysical conversation happen? And Vine talks about the, you know, um, the, the shifting and in, in meta, in metaphysics, right? Um, and and how that um, impacts the way in which indigenous peoples thinks because of how we understand metaphysics. Uh, and so there are tons of examples I could use for, from Vine, but I think just to simplify um, this question, um, apocalypse for native peoples um, beyond, no, we don't talk about it. Um, we have to remember that we have had an apocalypse experience um, recently. Right, uh, recently, and so, um, so yeah, that would be what I, that, I, the short answer is that we collectively have had these experiences, um, and um, but we don't really talk about it from that perspective. Do you want to talk about how native people experience apocalypse? Yeah, sure, we can we can do that. I mean, the um, yeah, I think it's important for folks to also recognize that when we were living in our own tribal nations, right, we may we certainly were connected with other nations. Um, and tribal groups, clans around us, um, but we, cert we, we certainly all were own, our own culture. Um, even today, we celebrate the diversity of languages, right? That the languages that Native people uh, um, speak today. Now, granted, because of colonization, a lot of our languages continue to be, you know, get closer and closer to extinction, and there are so there are thousands less than there used to be um, here in just the United States alone, North America. Um, in total, right? The, the groups, are, are, are the, group, the language groups are shrinking because, you know, those languages aren't passed down. English becomes the, the language that people have to use to survive here. So, um, but we were individual cultures. So the Cherokee people, you know, the, the Delaware people, the Lenape, the Ojibwe, you know, I mean, there are 574 federally recognized tribes and we each have our own culture, right? In, in, and that's just the federally recognized tribes the United States government acknowledges. We're not talking about the thousands that were here before um, Europeans arrived, right? Before they were all decimated, killed. So, or, or merged into other cultures but in order to survive um, as a peoples at that time. And so um, we had our own ways of doing ceremony. We had our, underst our own understanding of creation. So if we have our own understanding of creation, that then would probably um, make us think, well, that we have an understanding of where we, where we happen to go next, right? What's the, what's the quote afterlife look like? But when it comes to apocalypse, you know, and I talked, you know, I mentioned just a moment ago, we have these, we have these prophecies that might have seemed apocalyptic, even though that wasn't the word, or maybe even the notion or ideology or philosophy that Native people were thinking about at the time. It certainly was telling what was to happen. And I always think about um, the, 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 the apocalyptic story, the proph apocalyptic prophecy, right? Um, that it's no different than John the Revelator is telling, right? Is the prophecy of um, the Ojibwe people. And I believe it's the, the 11, council, 11 council fires. There's a bunch of council fires. I can't remember how many exactly, and I apologize for that. But multiple council fires 
um, because the Ojibwe were way over in the east, and they're um, they're, they're wise people. They're, pro they're 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 the folks who were were expending and expounding on these prophecies, who were who were receiving these you know wonderful messages from the Creator. Um, and, and, and other vision places was, you know, this, these things are going to happen. And, and there was a, this is going to happen first, and, and, and this is going to happen next, and this is going to happen next. And you need to start moving. So pack up your stuff and go to these places. This is where you're going to go. And so they started traveling east. So their journey east wasn't really um, a forced journey, but it certainly um, was impacted by the prophecy inside those, uh, in those council fires, um, those prophecies that told the story of a white man coming, a white being, a being of, uh, of, of light, right? Light, the skin of lightness um, is coming and they are going to work to destroy you. And that was before Europeans had come. Wow. And, and, and so there was this apocalyptic prophecy that happened you know, for the Ojibwe people and others um, have similar stories like that, right? And then of course, you know, I, I won't go into all those that I think I might know and probably need to learn more about, but I certainly will you know, want us to think about the apocalyptic stories um, that happened then when Europeans did arrive. Which right. there are just, it's an untold right. infinite number seemingly. Infinite number, right? And so we think, oh, well, Christianity wants us to believe there's only one. Christianity wants us to think, oh, we're all one peoples, we're unified in Christ. Okay, as far as theology is concerned, our belief, maybe so, but and 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 and, and but we and but but our story of apocalypse isn't we're not just waiting on that one. One that was actually, you know, like I said earlier, written for a particular purpose, right? About something that was very human, which was those tribal people's experience mm -hmm. of apocalypse mm -hmm. on the other side of the world. Those indigenous folks have their own apocalyptic story that was happening. It was not maybe spiritual, but very real and very in their face and very, um, very scary, very um, we're coming to kill you type of this stuff, right? Um, um, and then so power structures and, 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 and principalities and all those things that we don't necessarily talk about either in our day-to-day -day life, right? But, but today, yeah. I just want to, you know, throw into that from a, you know, my sort of study and expertise is in knowing about ecology and, and the way the biosphere has been changed by human uh, civilization over the last couple hundred years. And so to your point, you know, on a different physical level, a real level, we know that the United States was two thirds forested before the white people got here. Mm -hmm. And um, this radical change in the ecology, the, the deforestation, et cetera, would be total destruction of the economic system or what we think of as an economic system, the way of life. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a real literal thing that the it's when you destroy those forests you destroy the ability of people to survive. Mm -hmm. um, yes and no. I'm gonna I want to agree and disagree with you. Okay. Um, um, but I'm not going to stay there because that takes us to a whole different topic. And if you want me to talk about this, we can't go there. I do. So um, because you use the word ec economy, right? Which is a whole nother podcast <laughs> metaphorically so, yes but we'll so, another podcast yes um but the uh, but what i will say is that um as europeans arrived um even the very first very first two interactions at, at jamestown what in what is now known as virginia right and and plymouth rock you know it was this <laughs> this need for european judeo-christian thought right to attack and to take 
attack and take, which is not um, the which is not the, the prevalent way in which indigenous peoples in, existed with one another. Certainly we weren't, it was not utopian. Certainly there were skirmishes and, and probably battles between certain tribal nations. But for the most part, it was like, how do we welcome these folks? What is it that they need? Who are these new strange people? How do we care for them? Because if they are breathing, then they are our neighbor, right? They are our relative. They're, you know, um, and, and we'll use caution um, and, and they'll, you know, but the reality is, is that how do we, how do we engage with them in a way that's healthy? And, and then it shifted. And for folks who don't know the true story about Jamestown and, 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 um, uh, and po Pocahontas, right? Um, who was a murdered indigenous woman, right? <laughs> you know, that's all another topic as well. Um, and then also don't know the history of Plymouth Rock and, the, and, and how, gruesome that was over the next, you know, decades for indigenous peoples there and, and, and the folks who came there under the, 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 the need for religious freedom or, you know, because they were being persecuted and then coming to kill and take, um, kill and take, kill and take, right? So, um, so, so those were apocalyptic immediately. And, and, and to your point, you know, the, 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 the kill and take, the kill and take, the kill and take, you know, um, just grew stronger and stronger. And not every tribe experienced that, right? And then, of course, there was disease. And so the diseases that Europeans brought that Native people didn't have immunity to um, were, 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 were decimated tribes. They were just, it was, it was so destructive. And, and it wasn't just, oh, they're dead the next day. They had to live through this illness. And it was a terrible time. It was a plague that Christians brought pandemic right so if folks are you know if folks may so some people will well some people will equate the pandemic that we just experienced through in, in COVID-19 which we're not quite through um as just terrible awful and it was too many people died too many people were fighting too many people I mean that's a bit apocalyptic to me right there's a shift in how we now need to be able to engage with others so you know, and then I can use examples of the apocalyptic situations for different particular tribes, right? And I'll just give you two more. We talked about collective apocalyptic prophecy for one tribe, but then for Cherokees, right? Um, and Cherokees just one example I'll use because that's my tribe. But um, there were constant apocalyptic experiences. The changes continued to happen. They're having, you know, the land mass of what is essentially the size of Texas, be our territory, then become something just the size of maybe um, Rhode Island or Connecticut in the northeast corner of Georgia, that's apocalyptic because we were living in those spaces. Those were the places where we, we retrieved our food. That's where villages were. That's where we had relationships with our non-human relatives. And then our ceremonies then were connected to those places and connected to giving thanks to our non-human relatives who sacrificed themselves for our very livelihood. I always tell folks and, and others have said these things too, mine included, you know, there, we as human people, you know, we have no, we, we are dependent upon everything in creation. And if we're not dependent, dependent upon it directly, we make ourselves dependent upon it. We can become owners of it, right? And that be, that's the dependency we have. We've got to control it, even if it's not a literal dependency on our very being for survival. Um, and yet everything, all non-human people, all the non-human relatives, 
None of them are dependent upon human people for anything. They're going to survive anyway, right? Mm -hmm. The other thing is, is that we also think about um, apocalypse, and I'm doing it too now, just because of this, the, the, the way in which we're having this, the way in which we perceive and understand apocalypse. Apo the apocalypse didn't just happen then to the people who were native or indigenous, the Cherokees. The apocalypse happened then to our non-human relatives who were still in those places whether it be the plants that we planted or the plants that were gifted to us by Mother Earth and Creator to provide the berries and the seeds and, the, and the fed the animals and that, we, that, that sacrifice, the animals, the very animals that sacrifice themselves for our food, the fish, right, the water, all those things. Were take, we were, when we were marched out of there, right, out of those lands, before, even before the Trail of Tears, we were being separated from all that. And so it was apocalypse, apocalypse for Cherokee people and for our relations that were non-human people whose purpose had become to help us survive because we were the weakest being. We don't regenerate. We can't plant ourselves in the ground and regrow, right? And so the apocalypse happened to trigger, and, and that's just one tribe, one example. There are tons of other tribes who had similar experiences as they were being pushed off of their lands, off of their places, and those places where they had relationships with other people, both human and non-human. And that was apocalyptic. That was world changing. They took, they took us away from not just those relationships, they also took us away from our ceremonies. Because that's where ceremonies took place, in that place. Ceremonies for Cherokees in particular were about place.